Word of God. In Matthew 5, 7 to 9, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. This is the word of the Lord. A little better, but you go ahead and have a seat, grab your Bibles and find the passage that Sweet Haley just read, Matthew chapter 5, it's where we were last week, so it should be um, easy to find. If you did your daily reading this morning, like you're supposed to have, um, then you've already read it, and we were, I was having a, com a brief conversation with a sweet sister this morning about how, um, like, wow, the daily reading today was three verses, and next week it'll be three verses, and last week it was like five verses, and hopefully what you're doing, because you don't have a lot to read, is you're really letting those few, there's a lot packed into just a few words that Christ shares with us, so hopefully you're letting those words do a work in your life, like, like stop and pause and spend some time reflecting on what you just read. And so hopefully you do that every week, but certainly when the, sh when the readings are so short like they have been. But we're going to jump right into our, our conversation with our first talking points question. To know God and make him known. That's why we're here. That's, if, if you're here, I mean, all people that were ever created were created in his image for one reason. Like everybody is an image bearer of God, not just Christians. But we're here as the pinnacle of his creation to make him known. And that's the specific call of the Christian, to make him fully known, not just in uh, all of creation, but also in special revelation in God's word. We're called to make him known. But how do we do that? If that's the, if that's the only reason we're here, like, and, I, and I'm not sure we really believe that moment by moment. I don't know that I really believe that moment by moment, but the only reason you exist is to make God known. That's hard for us to hear. Why? Because I, I, I want to exist for me. So, so for us to actually do what the last part of the question, so how do we do that? Because it has to start with going, do we, how do we moment by moment embrace the reality that, that our purpose in existence is to show God, God, that God exists and that he saves and then he's coming again. So how do we do that? How do we make him known? By the way we live our lives. By the way we live our lives. Okay, so, so are we living? And that's, and that's really what the Beatitudes launch us into. So we'll come back to that one in a minute. Because these, these character qualities that, that Jesus starts his first sermon with are very much about how do you live your life and how upside down that is from how the world wants you to live your life. How else? Your relations through relationships, and I love how, how the Holy Spirit orchestrated some of our prayer time today. Um, in, in that, in, even in just talking about like how the people we've engaged with throughout the week. So, um, so are we are we even in like for us to show God off? That that implies that we're around people in a way that would show Him off. Good. What else? How we handle trials. Good. So how we handle trials, because we're, we, everybody faces trials, so as Christians, are we showing a better way to handle them? And I would put that into even, I mean, trials, I would say life decisions. Um, like, are, are, we, are we not only filtering these things through the lens of the gospel and through the lens of God's grace, but then are we telling other people that that's how we filter those things? Like, is it evident in our lives? And, and not just in our lives, but also out of our mouths. Good. 
There was a little hand up here. Yes, sir. Uh-oh, you just put something in your mouth. Sorry, bad timing. Any, well, he's chewing his food. Anybody else? <laughs> the beauty of family, right? We are the family of God here, so we are conversational. So anyone else? Live in a way that makes people curious. That's a huge one. Right? That's a huge one. One of our brothers, Jesse Sines, when he was at a really hard time in his life, um, he walked up to somebody who was a believer. This was before he got saved, and I know him well enough to know he has no problem with me sharing the story. And, and he walks up to him saying, I want what you've got. He wasn't talking about Jesus at the time. He was talking about drugs. And, but the man he asked it to was a born-again believer in Jesus. And he said, well, I'll tell you who I got. And jo Jesse got saved. And it completely changed everything about his life and his family. And if you've never heard his story, get to know the man because it is an amazing story. So, okay, your mouth is not full anymore, so go ahead. Praying for others. Praying for others. Oh, out of the mouths of babes, right? Like, shouldn't that be, shouldn't that be our first thought? Like, first we have to pray for, let's pray for other people, let's pray, and, and, and somebody prayed that even today, like, like, pray that we would be in the lives of people, that you would put, I think Jamie prayed, that we would all have people in our lives, that, that we're intersecting our lives with the gospel, so because, because their souls are eternal, and so how do we do, like, so how do we do that, so praying for opportunities, praying for people's souls, absolutely, like, like that, that is the soil work of soul work. Right, the preparing the soil of people's hearts is really done through prayer. So, so that's awesome. Okay, so one of the, what, the last thing I would just say about this comment before we, we move on is one of the things we want to be asking ourselves, especially as we're in this series called The Kingdom of Heaven and how it's this upside-down kingdom, is what version of God or what version of Christianity are we even showing people? And we're going to see, like we saw last week a little bit, but this week too and next week, we're going to spend three weeks in, this, in, this, in just the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. But we're seeing, guys, that, that, that Jesus is really pushing against us in, in how we want to live and how the world tells us we're to live. So we're in this second part, uh, a three-part series called The Upside Down Kingdom. We've spent, we spent the first eight weeks of this series in just in the first four chapters. We're now going to spend like the next four weeks in what amounts to like less than the first half of, of um, Matthew chapter 5. And the pacing is set, I mean, ultimately by the Holy Spirit, but we're trying to, like, like this, this is Jesus' first big public teaching. And so he is being very intentional about telling us, this is what my people look like. So we want to slow down a little bit and spend a little bit of time in this Sermon on the Mount. We won't, we won't finish even the whole sermon until after the holiday season. And so uh, just so you kind of have a sense of what's in store, be ready. Because not only do the Beatitudes, the first 10 or 12 verses of, the, of Matthew chapter 5, but all of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are going to be a gut punch for many of us because they come up against what we want. But we need the gut punch. That's Christ's point, right? So that's why he shares it. So today we're talking about what does it take to see God? What does it take to see God? And the answer is us. Like, like if you had, it takes, now, there are other ways we see God. We see God in creation, et cetera. But like I said a minute ago, we are the, you are the pinnacle of God's creation. You are his image bearers. It takes us going. That's why we're here. He leaves us here so that we can bring the gospel to other people. In all the different ways we can bring the gospel to other people. A shoebox to Africa or walking across the street to your neighbor and saying, how can I pray for you? Like, those are all different ways to do it. But what we're going to see specifically in these three verses today is how do we see God? Show mercy, 
love simply, make peace. Show mercy, love simply, and make peace. So we're in this little mini-series in Matthew chapter 5. This is week 2 of a three-parter in just the Beatitudes. And Jesus is being so intentional because what he's saying is, this is what a born-again believer looks like. He's, he, is, he is giving us a new, dis, not just job description, but identity description. And we talked last week a little bit about how this idea of blessedness, the word blessedness, there is markyrios in the, in the Greek, and it, just, and it, means, it, it means blessed, but we've polluted the word blessing so, because we think of blessing as if, if, so, if things are going well for us, we're blessed, and if things aren't going well for us, we're not blessed, and that's not what blessing means. Blessing is outside of our circumstances. Ble- the way we think of blessing is blessing is, is contingent on our circumstance. What Jesus says is, no, you are happy, because that, that word is often, the, the word is often translated happy, or the, way, the, the, better, the, the, the translation that speaks more to my heart is fortunate, is how it's translated sometimes in the Bible. Fortunate are you when, the, when, these, things are, when these things are true in your life. He's saying, guys, it, it, that is out, it is outside of your circumstance. And we'll see that more next week when we get to uh, verses 6 and then 10 through 12. Is, is we'll, we'll see that... Um, that, that being fortunate is often in the midst of hard circumstances, so it can't be circumstantial in, in how we see ourselves as blessed or not. So if you just ju- we're going to jump into uh, Matthew chapter, before we get to our first point officially, we're going to jump into Matthew, I'm going to read all the Beatitudes again like I did last week. So we're going to start in verse 3, and it says this in, in verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked last week about how that, that we're just beggars telling other beggars who the bread is. Right, that we have the poor in spirit means that we we understand that apart from Christ we are dead spiritually. There are no spiritually alive people who are not believers in Jesus. That is not possible. He's the one that brought life. Right. Okay. So that's the first one. Uh, Verse four says, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted." And we talked about how that is not mourning over the loss of a loved one or over a situation. That is mourning over your sin being broken about your sin. uh, Verse 5 says, Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we defined meekness as gentle strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. Meekness is not doormat. It's not... Um, it's not being it's 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 not being pushed like like um, overrun, but it is having strong, gentle strength under the control of the Holy Spirit, which means love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all the things that meekness would look like. Now we're gonna verse six says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied." We're gonna skip that verse this week and 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 come back to it next week. But it summarizes, in a very real sense, the first three verses. And I'll talk more about how the, all, all the verses break down next week as we kind of wrap up the, the Beatitudes. But it sort of summarizes the three verses we looked at last week. So we're going to skip it and come back to it next week because so do the verses at the end of the Beatitudes. So in verse 7 it says, and these are where we are today, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, um, and, so, so, and, and if you notice, he bookends the Beatitudes with that kingdom of heaven phrase. In verse 3, he talks about you, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse, in verse 10, he says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's on purpose by Jesus because what he's saying is everything in between is what kingdom people look like. 
The first three we looked at last week are very much about our relationship with God. There are other ways we can look at them, but you could look at them in a sense of, like, these are ways that we, 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 if we don't come to God bankrupt, if we don't come to God broken, right, if we don't come to God realizing we're bottom dwellers, we don't really come to God. Until we get to the end of ourselves, we don't even see God, right? That's what uh, Billy Graham told us last week. Now, these next three that we're looking at today, verses 7, 8, and 9, they're really about how do we relate to each other. And, and that's why he finishes the thought with, and oh, by the way, verse 10, you're going to be persecuted. Because verse 10 through 12 summarizes these next, the three uh, Beatitudes that we're going to look at today. So how is any of this even possible? I mean, this is, if, if you haven't spent enough time looking at meekness and poor of spirit and, and the things we looked at last week and what we're going to see today, if you like, if it doesn't make you go, man, that is, I, there's some soul work that needs to be done in Doug's life for, for this to describe me. The, the only way this is possible is if you are born again. John chapter 3. It, it, this was the problem Nicodemus had. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, comes to Jesus and he's like, I'm a Pharisee. I'm doing all this stuff. Why don't I know the Father like you know the Father? Because he's like, man, I see, I see God in you. And, and he didn't know who Jesus was, but he wants to know. And so Jesus says to him, unless you are born again, it is impossible to see God this way. So it's, it, the only way any of these things are possible is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, like I said last week, like I've already said today, and like I'll, I'm sure I'll say next week, the, this teaching will rub us the wrong way. And we have got to, got to, got to, got to come to grips as Christians with how much of our concept of christianity has been culturally driven as americans and how much of it is biblically driven as we we have to come to grips with that because and this this is just the odd, the odd thing about it the church the christian church has seen unprecedented prosperity in 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 some really unhealthy ways, like the prosperity gospel, but also in some really good ways. I mean, we have done more, Americans have done more to see the gospel go around the globe than, than all the other nations of the world combined. Gen I mean, genuinely, that, that is true. Because we have money, because we have the resources, because we had a heart for it. So there has been really, I'm not here to bash the American church. I am here to say that what has happened is we have drifted into defining Christianity outside of the lens of Scripture. Because frankly, it just fits the American dream better. That's really what it ends up being about. And so, um, like I said, this is going to kick us in the teeth. So get ready. I hope you have your one or five toothbrushes for, um, for what's about to happen. So um, if you don't know what that means, you should have been here at the start of the service. Today's question, what does it look like to see God? The first point is we have to show mercy. The way, so, so back to where we started with this idea of how do we make God known? And we talked, and you said, like, one is how we treat people. How are we interacting with people? Well, Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, verse, five, or verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So what is mercy? What is mercy? I'm asking. Not getting what you deserve. It's not grace. Grace goes beyond mercy. Right, grace is, is not only, not, it, it's, it's getting what you don't deserve. Gra so I, so I, just, I was just thinking about this today, when, I think it was when Sean was sharing Psalm 23. I'm thinking, man, I am, thank you Jesus that you didn't say, blessed are the gracious for they shall receive grace. Because frankly, I have a, grace is way harder than mercy. 
Grace is going, you have wronged me, you have hurt me, here's my car. Right, that's grace. Mercy is just, hey, you have wronged me and you have hurt me, and I am not going to kick you back. I'm not going to wrong you back. That one's, I can't even do that well. I can't even imagine, like, so, so, so thank you, Jesus, that you only, the only that you, but, but mercy is hard. I mean, it, it is genuinely a different, and yet, he says in Luke chapter 6, be merciful as your heavenly Father has been merciful to you. Keep your finger, or, well, you don't have to, but we're going to come back to Matthew 5. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Turn to Luke chapter 7. So in Luke chapter 7, it's just to the right of where we are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 7. So go past the Gospel of Mark. We're going we're to look at several passages in Scripture today to let them do most of the talking um, for, for me today. But, guys, the, the idea of mercy, um, here's one of the ways it can be displayed. This idea of mercy, and, and, and honestly, like, we uh, probably, we don't, we don't think of mercy as much as, like, forgiveness. Like, this is, this is like, when I think of being merciful, it, it really is a, it's an act of forgiving. Because it's, it's withholding the punishment that somebody deserves. So he's saying, be merciful, because you'll receive mercy your heavenly Father has been merciful to you, so extend that mercy to others. And here's what that looks like. So if you look at Luke chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 36. It's a well-known but powerful story. And if you want to put that picture up, um, I forgot to mention that, but that would be great. It says, when one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So a Fer- this is after he preaches the sermon. This is, this is later in time in Luke's gospel. So he's preached the Sermon on the Mount, he's done some more healing, he's healed the centurion's um, slave, he's done all these different things, and, and now he gets invited, so word's getting out, so one of the religious leaders invites him in, and he, sa- and he invites him in to recline at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, that just means, that means a prostitute, who is a sinner, when she learned what had been, that he had been reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and, and that's to symbolize that like it, was, it was worth a, a lot of money, especially for her. In her situation, because an alabaster flask of ointment would have cost a a great deal for her back then. It says in verse 38, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. So, So at some point, she drops to her knees in his presence and is weeping and is wiping her feet with his with her with his feet with her hair with the hair of her head, and he's kissing her feet, anointing them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, and remember, guys, we all have our own little internal Pharisee. When the Pharisee, when the, law, when the, when the religious person who had, been, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if this man were a prophet, he would understand what kind of woman is touching him. He would have never let this unclean person touch him. And Jesus knew this, and so it says in verse 40, and Jesus answering him says, Simon... That's not Simon Peter, this is the Pharisee's name. Simon, I have something to say to you. And the Pharisee, like the Pharisee is so prideful, he's like, say it, bring it. This is his way of going, bring it on. I'll take whatever you got. So he's like, all right, certainly. He says, he says a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. So one owed 10 times more than the other, that's the point. Now, which of them will love him more? So this guy forgives 
two different people. One of them owes 10 times what the other one does. And Jesus says, so which one is going to forgive him or is going to love him more? And Simon answered, the, the one, I suppose, who he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, which would just have been the minimal courtesy of the time. Ultimately, what he's saying to this Pharisee is, you see me like you see this woman. You see me as, a, you see me as beneath you. And so, you're, so I'm not worthy of your mercy or your grace. And he says, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in, and she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who was forgiven little, loved little. And he said to her, so Jesus looks at the woman and says, and my guess is knowing Jesus, he kneels to the ground where this broken woman is. And he looks her in the face and he says, your sins are forgiven. That's who Jesus is. It's what Jesus does. He never stands over you in some haughty, pharisaical way and says, prove it to me. He says, just come and sit at my feet and let me wash you with my mercy and grace. And then he says in verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But guys, it starts with, for our ability to do that, for our ability to have that, it, it started with, he, the Pharisees accusing Jesus of not seeing the woman. He's the only one in the room who really did. Right? He, like, the, he saw the woman for who she was. He knew what her problem was, and he meets her there. The Pharisee just wants to use her. Just like she's been used over and over and over again. Jesus is the one that meets her where she is and brings her where she needs to be. Which is understanding that in him there is forgiveness. But it started with seeing the people. In Matthew chapter 9, one of my favorite passages in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It talks about how Jesus, seeing the crowds, his heart broke for them. Because they were dispirited and distressed, I think is how the New Living translates it. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Like they, it's the way that the New Living says it, it says they, they had so many problems and they did not even know where to go for help. And he's right there in front of them. And then he says, but then he says this, now, now let's get it off of Jesus and let's get it on to us. Because what's his solution? So pray that he would raise up harvesters. Who's the harvesters, people? We are. We're supposed to meet the woman at her feet. Look at your second talking points question. So that leads us to this question. What gets in the way of grace or mercy? If, if, if grace is too hard, let's, let's back, we can back up and talk about mercy. Why aren't we better at practicing mercy and forgiveness? My rights. My rights. Selfishness. Pride. What's that? We're critical. Like, guys, because that is true. Like, like I want my way. I'm, I'm prideful. I'm, um, I'm selfish. But all of that 
here's our lens. Seeing the people, we don't have compassion on them. Seeing the people, we think we're better. That's the Pharisee. It's exactly the Pharisee. Guys, now, now take it to something. Now, I'm not going to ask this. I'm not asking for out, out loud answers, okay? Think about, now, so take it off of like those people and people groups and what's going on in our world. And just put it into somebody personal. Maybe you and your spouse came in here today just locking horns. Maybe there's a family member that you're just really struggling to forgive. Maybe you're having a hard time just because, because, because you know what? They have, I'm, I'm doing it right, and they wronged me. And we're keeping score. Guys, what is our motivation to forgive? What is our motivation for mercy? What is our motivation for grace? Because all those things, because, all right, so I'm going to stop. I'm going to just give you 10 seconds. Think about that person. And think about what the thing is you feel like they've wronged you in. Like how would you, don't answer out loud, how would you describe it? False accusation, hurtful word, unfair treatment, rejection, betrayal. Because I could list, I, I could just keep listing a, are they adjectives. I don't have any idea. I'm not an English person. Are those adjectives, sort of. What, yeah, I could list descriptors all day long. Every one of them I've done to Jesus. Every one of them you've done to Jesus. So the reason I need to forgive the person who's betrayed me, and guys, I stand up here before you telling you your pastor really struggles with that, especially when they betrayed my family. Man, give me the baseball bat. I'll go show them the love of Jesus. That's my heart, and that's not right. But guys, understand that, that my, my, your motivation for forgiving their betrayal is because I betray Christ all the time. And he forgives me all the time. And, so, and you do the same thing. That's supposed to be our motivation. for how to, and, and when we do that, we show God off in ways that are, that are supernatural. And we'll kind of finish up there when we get to the peacemaking part. So what does it, see, what does it look like to, or like what does it take to see God? One, we have to show mercy. The second thing is we have to live simply. We have to live simply. Look at verse 8. Or, or, oh, I left, I left me in Luke. I have to go back to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 8 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart one is probably the hardest one for us to get our minds around. Because right away when I say something like, Blessed are the pure in heart. What do we think of as Bible-believing Christians? What's that? Children? Okay, good. we're going to come there in a minute. That's a good, like, what do, like in, in my heart, when I hear the word blessed are the pure in heart, maybe I'm the only one, but here's man, I'm thinking, I got no shot. I got no shot. Because, man, I know my heart. Right now, we're going to see next week whose righteousness makes our heart pure. But I'll go back to what Teresa said. The, the, the closest to the pure of heart we see often is children. And oh, by the way, that's what Jesus said too. So keep your finger where we are. Go to Matthew 18. Go to Matthew 18. And we're just going to uh, take, a, take a look at how Jesus explains this. In Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. 
So get, so get that. Now, now, these are, now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, when it says these are the disciples came to him, it's not talking about the masses. It's talking about the twelve. These are the best of the best of the best of Christians on the planet at this point of all humanity. And look at what, they argue, what they're saying. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Now, guys, we know from other accounts and the other gospels, they're asking the question because they want to know which one of them is greatest. Right? So that's their heart. It says, and calling to him, this had to just like, talk about a kick to the cradle. This had to have been horrible for them. Because he's like, hey, hey, see this kid? They're all like, man, I, look at all the stuff I've been doing for you, Lord. And he brings over a little child. And he stands this little child in front of them and he says, hey, do you see this child? Do you see this child right here? He says, truly I say to you that unless you turn and become like this child, like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. Like that, that, that verse ought to be underlined and maybe like with an out, like whoever humbles himself, meekness, whoever meeks himself, like we looked at last time, like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Guys, it's our heart that matters. But what he's saying, don't get this, don't, don't mistake this. He is saying, so back to Matthew chapter, back, back to Matthew 5, 8, when he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, that's a for now promise. It's not, it's a both end. All of these promises are kingdom promises for there and then when he comes again, and they're kingdom promises for now. So he's saying we will see God. In that purity of heart. Why? Because what purity of heart has to do with is what you guys prayed about in our prayer time. Focus. Purity of heart has to do, the, what he's talking about children is because he's saying, like the children, if, until you have a heart that is just purely devoted to something, like when something captures the heart of a child, man, it's all in. Like that, that little heart is consumed. Mommy, I need the next thing. 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 Mommy, why? Because whatever that thing is has captured their heart, right? Now, for, now obviously, that's a little sinner thing. We're just big sinners because I do the same thing. I need the next thing, God. I need the next thing, God. I need the next thing, God. Whether the thing is a something or a someone or a situation or whatever, we're all that way. But he's saying, guys, the pure of heart have their focus purely on God. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, or 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul says, For now we see in part, but then we will see in full. Now we know in part, but then we will fully know. What's the context of 1 Corinthians 13, 12? What? Love. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 11. Love is um, love is patient, love is kind, love does not seek its own, love does not keep any record of wrong. All those things that we talked about at the marriage retreat that we all stink at. Right? It's, it's, he's saying, but it's that focus of not on yourself, but on him that leads us to being pure in heart. Guys, the purity of heart is simply seeing Jesus as better. It's, guys, the, the, the only real solution for us in becoming pure of heart is to, is to, isn't just to fight off the idols, but it's to, it's to teach is to and this is why we have to gather because because you guys remind me hearing you guys sing so beautifully during the service like before before i come up here reminds me that jesus is better and that's why i need to be here like it, it just it's just the way it is look at your last talking points question what does a heart that is singularly devoted to something or someone look like what does a heart that is singularly devoted to something or someone look like? 
You don't like being away from it. So good. What else? Unstoppable. Relentless pursuit. Good. What else? Not distracted. I mean, for those of you that are married, think about when you were dating. Those of you that are dating, think about dating. What, what, like, like when you are, when, when you are, when your heart has been captured and you are singularly devoted to that, like to pers- the pursuit of that person, there is little or nothing that will get in your way, right? Certainly not mentally and emotionally. That's what we're supposed to be with Jesus. Because all the other stuff, including our spouse or our boyfriend or our girlfriend, are idols if we put them ahead of our pursuit of him. So last thing, so, la- the last, so what does it take to see God? One, we have to show mercy. Two, we have to live simply. Like, our, our, like would people, if people were following you around, would they say, this person is passionately pursuing Jesus? And the last thing would be they make peace. And this is the hardest one. The, the purity of heart was probably the hardest for us to understand. The peacemaker is the hardest one for us to do. And I'll tell you why. So let me just read. Oh, back. To, I, I left myself back in Matthew 18. Let me go to Matthew chapter 5 again and read verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Guys, this is the hardest way for us. This is the hardest. This is, out of all of the Beatitudes, the three we looked at last week and the three we're looking at today, to me, this is the hardest one to do in our world because peacemaking is, is becoming near impossible. Because here's the thing. He doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Like, like uh, right? That's, I mean, it's hard enough to keep peace. It's hard enough to keep peace in your home, keep peace in your marriage, keep peace at your place of work, keep peace on the internet, keep whatever. It's hard enough just to keep it. He's not saying, don't just stop putting up walls. He's saying, build bridges. So, because one of my favorite verses, right, is, is as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, right? That's uh, Romans 12 something, I think, right? Verse 15 or 16, something like that. As far as it depends on you, as, far, as much as it depends on Doug, be at peace with everybody. Here's what I say. I can be at peace without, without actually being in any sense of relationship with that person, right? And, and, I'm, and I could probably make it, well, in fact, I probably, I could make a biblical argument for that. But here, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. Here he's saying, make peace with that person. It's not just stop the turmoil. He's saying, pursue them. Here's what, part of why it's so hard. Because the minute you are, the minute in, in our world of tribalization, and we are tried, and the Christians are no different. In fact, we probably have tribed up more than anybody in the, since COVID. We, and we tribe up over all kinds of secondary gospel, uh, secondary to the gospel issues. We're tribing up over masks or no vaccines, vaccines or no vaccines. Are you a D or are you an R? Like, we're, we're, that, we're tribing up everywhere. And the minute you, di- we can't even have a dialogue about what Josh and I might disagree about in our tribes and go, hey, you know what? I learned a little something. I still think you're wrong, but I learned a little something. Or he, we can't even do that anymore. It, it's like, forget it. You are out of here. And so am I. Like, that's how, that's how we have become. And social media has stirred that up. You know why? Because one, it's so easy to share ideas. But two, it's made it way easier to tribe up. Because you can find your tribe. Because our tribes are so small now that unless we have access to everybody in the world, we're going to be pretty lonely. But we get on the internet and think those are our real friends. And we think they think just like I do. So I'm not the only one like this. And these are my people. Guys, nobody on the internet are your people. They're not. 
I mean, unless they're like sitting here today with you, they're your family members, and, that's, and some of you, that's all you use Facebook for, and I'm a huge fan of that, but nobody that you follow on Instagram is your people. No celebrity pastor you watch on YouTube is your pastor, and any of them that are worth a, they're a grain of salt will tell you when they're preaching on YouTube, I am not your pastor, get into a church, because those are your people. Why? Because you know what? Once the person on YouTube says something I don't, doesn't, my tribe doesn't like, I can just delete him. But it's way more obvious when I delete you. Because you're here. Right? When, when I go, I don't want to be in relationship with you anymore. That's noticeable. That's, that's the beauty of the mess that is the glory of God in this space. But we are called to be not just peacekeepers, but peacemakers. And that is hard, but, but it's true and right because we are called to share the gospel of peace. So here's the last place you're going to turn. So we're, we're done in Matthew. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to finish up and we're going to land this thing here really quick. And we'll go into our time of response here in a minute and, and communion and, and in song. But Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 13. We are to share the gospel of peace. So this is a, this is a fairly well-known passage for us here at Crosstrain because we, we spent a lot of time talking about spiritual warfare. It is real. This is where Paul's saying, hey, spiritual war warfare is real, so armor up. And he says, therefore, in verse 13, he says, therefore, take up your full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day and having done all, stand to stand firm. He's saying, guys, he's saying, he's saying 2,000 years ago, the world is hard, the enemy is real, the attacks are obvious, get your armor on. And then he says, so here's what the armor looks like. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, so that's God's word, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, we're going to talk more about what that looks like next week when we talk about the righteous and how he clothes us with his righteousness. And then look at verse 15. And of sh as shoes for your feet. So, so this is the part of our body that's made for going. Going. So he's like the, in the Matthew 28, as you are going along, make disciples. That's what he's saying. So for your, here's, here's how you make disciples. You put on your, you, so for your feet, you put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace. And then he says, um, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can which, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit and in prayer and in supplication to the end to that end, keep alert with all pers perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He's like, man, it is so intense. We have to pray for each other. We have to keep the gospel of peace top of mind. Guys, we'll finish with this, but Romans 5, he says, we have peace with God. That's what the gospel is. Reconciliation. Rebels made reconciled. That's what peacemaking looks like. And our motivation for being a peacemaker is that we have peace. We have God has made peace with us. We didn't make peace with him. God is the peacemaker. And he tells us to be little, like, in the family business. That's why he says they shall be called sons or, or sons and daughters of God. This is what the family does. The family business is peacemaking. If you're a Christian, you're in the business. Whether you knew you owned a share or not, I don't know. 
but you're in the business. And then he finishes up here, he says in verse 19, he says, And also pray for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So guys, are we known as peacemakers? I mean, are you, I'm not asking for, I'm, I'm saying, are, are, would you say that in your, in your relationships, in your home, in your family, your extended family, your place of work, your school, where, would you say that you are known for being a peacemaker or like a turmoil creator, right? Well, thank you for being honest, but I, I, you, didn't, you didn't have to be. James 3 says it this way. James is that hard-hitting, you know, writer, and he says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's James 3. I would encourage you to read that and reread that. I want to finish with a short story about Corey Tenboom. So Cory Ten Boom, if you don't know, she was Jewish. She was, she was in a concentration camp. She saw her parents get killed. She saw her, daughter, her sister died shortly before she, um, shortly before she um, was released. And after she got out, she, started, she, she became a Christian, or she was a Christian. I'm sorry. She was a Christian, and she, um, and she began sharing the forgiveness of God with other people. She would go around to churches in Europe, and this is, a, this is a scene that she shares in 1947, speaking at a church in Munich, she says, shares this, after she gets on sharing about the, about the amazing forgiveness of God, this man comes up to her and it says, he was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since the time in the concentration camp, so this is one of the Nazis who had tortured them, who had punished them, who was responsible for her sister dying, and it says, and he came up to me at the church and was emptying, as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that you say Jesus has washed my sins away. His hand, had, was, his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who preached so often to people about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin in them. Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Yeah, wow. In that moment, Corey Tenboom, a middle-aged survivor of Nazi terror, committed an act, not of hateful revenge, but of faith and hope. Her decision was truly extraordinary. In so doing, she pointed to and in a small but significant way tasted the already but not yet of the kingdom of Christ. Man, we probably get no, we're probably never closer to Jesus than when we forgive someone who has genuinely wounded us because we have genuinely wounded him. So, do you remember where we started? I'm going to have the music team come up now. Do you remember where we started? 
We started with the, with the question, the first, the first talking points question, to know God and make him known. Like, that's the point. So how do we show God off? How do, how do we help people see God? Well, we have to show mercy, we have to live simply, and we have to make peace. But can you? Like, do you? Like, like do you practice that kind of peace? Do you extend that kind of mercy? Do you... Do you live in that kind of pure heart and 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 do you if not and 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 the answer for all of us is moment by moment yes and no in the no moments here's what we have to do we have to cling to romans chapter 5 romans chapter 5 says therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then Paul goes on a few verses later in chapter in verse 6. He says, for while we were still weak, at the time Christ, at that time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we, you, me, were still sinners, while we were still, while we were, while I was, while I was still a God-mocking atheist, Christ died for me and for you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your gospel is a story of peacemaking that it is the only solution for all the brokenness that we see in our world. And frankly, it's the only story that makes sense. That, that what is going on in our world is we are a bunch of rebels. We are a bunch of rebels who have rejected the one who made us in your image. And from that first rejection in a garden, you pursue us with your peace. You pursue us in your mercy. You pursue us by your grace. You don't wait for us to come to you because we never would. But you invite us. As you pursue us and, and you come into our presence, you say, your sins are forgiven. Now go. So Lord, I do pray for those in this room that do not yet know the peace of God that comes from peace with God. I pray that today would be the day that they would not harden their hearts, but that they would freely receive the offer that is freely given. That today would be the day that you have ordained for them to be born again. And Lord, for those of us that, that are yours, but, but as we all do, I guess, so not just for those of us, but for all of us who struggle with living in this in this upside-down, countercultural way you've called us to live, Lord, remind us of two things. One, the power of the Spirit is what makes it possible. And two, our motivation is your pursuing love. Because that's what you've done for us. I thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.